American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. So in 1945, many of the world's great cities are literally smoking ruins. World War II has been absolutely devastating, the worst war in human history. But one, one country's cities are untouched, and that's the United States of, of America. The U.S. is the world's dominant economic power and one of its two standing military superpowers. And it's so dominant economically that, for instance, uh, it produces 50% of all the industrial goods made in the world in 1944 and 45. It's so dominant, in fact, that it tries to restructure the entire international order around itself. And to some extent, this is an expression of its power, an attempt to extend uh, its power, in fact, but it's also an attempt to bring stability to a world that has been shaken in just two, de two generations by the two biggest wars in human history. So it's driven by fear. It's driven by a fear of a return to the chaos of the 1930s, a return of Nazis who many argue grew out of the disorder and lack of development in Germany after World War I. And so this whole project uh, following World War II, of first the Bretton Woods International Monetary System and then the Marshall Plan in 1948 of redeveloping Europe, are based around this idea of bringing stability, the kind of corporate stability that America offered to the rest of the planet. So actually, I'm going to ask you to talk about the Bretton Woods system, because this monetary stuff is hard. Bretton Woods was a way to bring the gold standard into the late 20th century. And so instead of relying on gold as the fixed value for all the currencies of the world, currencies were set into a fixed relationship with one another. And this comes out of the Bretton Woods Conference in New Hampshire in 1944 where 40-some delegates from all the Allied powers gathered to figure out exactly how to stabilize the post-war order so there wouldn't be the hyperinflations that had produced the, the German economic crises of the 1920s. And it's drawn upon this idea of having the currencies pegged to one another within a certain band so they can fluctuate very little bit, but then having the dollar really be fixed to the value of gold or rather have gold defined in terms of the US dollar. And so at root, it was still rooted in this older idea of the gold standard, but with this sort of stabilization of all the global economies at its core as well. Now at the same time, the US is planning a series of packages of aid to Europe to try to get Europe on its feet again, to try to get the industrial economies of Western Europe in particular uh, turning over and contributing to worldwide growth once again. And these countries are absolutely devastated. The U.S. gives something like $15 billion in direct aid between 1945 and 1948, but policymakers have come to conclude that that's still not enough. There is the possibility uh, of continued suffering in Europe, and there's the possibility that some of those uh, economies, some of those countries will go over to the Soviet bloc if they're not able to reconstruct their economies. So the U.S. proposes what comes to be known as the Marshall Plan, named after George Marshall, one of the, the main policymakers uh, of uh, the United States in World War II and after. And the Marshall Plan will give another $15 billion in aid, uh, loans, uh, but also it, it takes along, it, it brings along with it not just loans and grants, uh, actual money, but the knowledge and the know-how to help to reconstruct the Western European economy at a more fundamental level. 
And it also is not just about the money going abroad, it's also American corporations and American products. It's at this moment in the 1950s, uh, the real heyday of the Marshall Plan, that American corporations go to Europe and begin to set up production there. Uh, first in the name of just rebuilding Europe, but then also as an end in itself. We start to see the multinational firm that was not just about trading between countries, but, also, but really about producing in multiple countries all at once begin to take hold as an important part of the American and indeed the global economy. By 1951, Western European economies have really recovered from the shock of World War II. In fact, their level of production, uh, their collective GNP, if you will, is higher than that of 1938. And as the 1950s go on, something like an economic miracle will occur. They will grow and grow, and their exports to the rest of the world uh, will increase as well. But what's really important about these uh, events happening uh, at this time, the, the 20 glorious years, as France calls it, uh, the Western, West German uh, economic miracle, is that Europe could have done much worse, in part because of decolonization that's happening at this time. One of the American aims during the war was to bring an end to Western European empires ruling so much of the globe from their little corner of the world. And so uh, nations like India, nations across Africa and throughout Asia step out onto the world stage as independent countries. And in, in this period, the U.S. Uh, recognizes that the Western European empires that had depended so much on trade with those colonies, protected trade, uh, are going to need some help recovering. And so the Marshall Plan is very significant in, in helping that to, to happen. But how do you develop an economy? Yeah. And the answer is you look to your own history. You look to the own history of capitalism, both in Europe and in the United States. And so these ideas of how to develop an, uh, an economy come directly out of America's own history and are used forcefully, especially in the work of W.W. Rostow, who had an idea of stages growth that deeply structured how every economy needed to take off and be grown its own. And Rostow, who ultimately becomes uh, part of the National Security Council of the United States and is heavily involved in, in uh, getting the U.S. stuck in the Vietnam quagmire, uh, is in some ways an ironic figure for other reasons as well. Because the very recipe for development that he and others try to export uh, will ultimately, uh, on the one hand, be brought back to the U.S., but also will be abandoned by policymakers at places like the World Bank or the International Monetary Fund, as by the 1970s they will switch to a very different recipe for growth. But how is it brought back to the U.S. in the meantime? Well, you see in the, in the 1960s a collision between ideas of urban blight, uh, especially after the riots of beginning in 1965, and these ideas of development, so that the American city is now seen almost as a third world, something to be developed as an object of policy. And so beautiful old neighborhoods are leveled in the name of the giant highways. You see this policy of urban redevelopment destroy the core architecture and spaces of the American cities. And so what the Germans, ironically, ironically, this is the greatest irony of all, what the Germans were unable to do, that is destroy American cities, we do to ourselves in the name of urban redevelopment. Well, wait, I, actually I think there's an even bigger irony, and it's this, which is that whatever the cause, whether it's the success of the uh, Rostow development paradigm, uh, which encourages nations to follow the, the course of U.S. history to move from being a colonial power to protecting its own infant industries, 
to becoming a fully independent industrial nation, uh, or whether it's the Marshall Plan or something else, the world returns. Uh, once again, Western Europe, Japan, and soon other new economic powers are competing effectively with the U.S. by the late 1950s and the early 1960s. And their ability to compete to sell products even in the United States to cut into that 50% of world industrial production rapidly is actually what puts the Bretton Woods system that had been part of the U.S. recipe for post-war stability under immense strain by the early 1960s. And so the policies that bring about stability at a global level bring about instability at the national level for the American economy. For more information, go to edX.org and look for American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Or go to facebook.com slash American Capitalism MOOC. This podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University.